Meanwhile, at the DC Nation, we are tonight's <laughs> entertainment. Here on the world, reasons are the wrong way. None of the Robins ever complain. You're going to melt just like a cheese sandwich. And show you just how powerful I really am. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the DC Nation Podcast, dedicated to reviewing all the amazing content DC Comics provides to you as its fans, most notably focusing on the TV shows, Gotham, The Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, Ken DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Guy Dash with your host. Get with me is a guy who's glad that they're making some repairs to DC films. My co-host. It's Nico and welcome to Across Series DC Nation. On this week's episode, we continue our spring 2016 TV season as we continue our coverage of the DC Nation with an episode of Gotham, Flash, Arrow, and the season one finale of DC Legends of Tomorrow. Yes, and before we get into all of that, we've got a very big DC Nation news with Nico section this week. Because some big news about the state of DC films. Okay, four-way crossover for all of the CW's superhero shows. Got a Harley Quinn spinoff, possibly, starring Margot Robbie, called The Way. Warner Brothers puts Jeff Johns in charge of DC Films. In the wake of Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, it was widely rumored that Warner Brothers was considering drastic action as a response to the film's divisive reception. Tuesday night, those rumors were confirmed, and DC Films is now in the hands of Jeff Johns and John Berg. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Johns and Berg will co-run DC Films while still reporting to their respective bosses at DC and Warner Brothers. Johns will remain in his current role as DC's chief creative officer, while Berg is also an executive vice president at Warner Brothers. The thinking appears to be that John will bring a greater legitimacy to DC Films because of his knowledge and passion for comics, while Berg will balance that out with his experience as a film executive. In addition to his long career as a comic book writer, Johns is widely credited for his role in bringing successful live-action DC dramas Arrow and The Flash to television. If Johns can replicate that success with the DC Films, then his partnership with Berg could be the best of both worlds. While the obvious comparison of Johns and Berg's new position is being made to Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige, the initial report is playing down that assumption by claiming that Warner Brothers still wants to remain a filmmaker-driven studio, but really, the only thing that anyone wants to see out of these promotions are better DC movies. If Warner Brothers was satisfied with the audience response to Batman vs. Superman, then it wouldn't be making this move now. It may be some time before we actually see changes reflected in the films. Both Johns and Bergs have been added as executive producers to the first Justice League film, which director Zack Snyder is currently shooting, and Johns is currently co-writing the next Batman movie, which Ben Affleck will be directing and starring in. I'm happy about this move because it takes most of the power out of that ass clown Zack Snyder's hands and puts them in true comics fans in Jeff Johns and a smart film business guy in John Berg. Good move. The CW announces four-way crossover with Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl. Now that Supergirl has moved to the CW, the network is gearing up for an epic four-way crossover with Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, and DC Legends of Tomorrow. Ahead of its upfront presentation on Thursday, CW chief Mark Pedowitz touted Supergirl's move from CBS to CW. Quote, just imagine what our superhero crossover episode is going to be like come December. 
Later, he followed up by calling the event our biggest one ever. The news is unsurprising. It's become an annual tradition for Greg Berlanti's Super Series to cross over in the fall. It started when Arrow first introduced Grant Gustin as Barry Allen in Season 2 of Arrow, following up the next season with a crossover between Arrow and The Flash. The two shows then crossed over with DC Legends of Tomorrow ahead of its launch, while The Flash also crossed over with Supergirl on CBS. I can't wait for this four-way crossover. It's going to be amazing. A Harley Quinn spinoff film is on the way. In a bit of news that should delight DC fans everywhere, the Hollywood Reporter is breaking the news that actress Margot Robbie is producing and starring in her own Harley Quinn spinoff movie after her character debuts in this summer's Suicide Squad. But that's not even the coolest part. This movie isn't planned on just being a Harley Quinn spinoff, but also featuring a whole group of female DC characters hinted to include Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. This news makes a ton of sense for multiple reasons. For starters, Harley Quinn has proven to be one of comics' most beloved characters. Just go to any comics convention and see how many Harley Quinn cosplayers there are. You can't go two feet without spot in another one. In many ways, she has become DC's breakout character over the last 25 years, similar to Deadpool at Marvel. Capitalization on her popularity is a no-brainer, and just from the trailer, she's shown to be one of the best things in the new Suicide Squad movie already. The other reason it makes a lot of sense is that including the other iconic female DC Comics characters in this movie is that there's a huge market for women heroes in the movies, and that's almost going entirely unfulfilled, and this is one way DC can finally one-up Marvel by having an all-female-led cast. There are no shortage of characters they can use here either. Batgirl, Black Canary, who is rumored to show up in the Justice League movie, Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and the list goes on and on. In fact, there was once a DC series called Gotham City Sirens, which featured Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, and Catwoman together. That right there is a perfect title for this movie. Apparently, the entire idea is one that came from Robbie herself. It seems after she got the part of Harley Quinn, she dove deep into the character's history, finding a love not just for her own character, but for all of the DC women as well. She then brought on a writer to help develop the project and then brought it to Warner Brothers, who quickly signed on. And why not? This sounds like a brilliant idea. And that's the news with Ego DC headlines for this week. So with the good news that we think DC films is going to get their crap together, we're going to talk about a TV show that seems to be doing things right for DC. Okay, that's Gotham, with the episode entitled The Legion of Horrors. Hugo succeeds in bringing Fish back with her memories intact. He's then forced to deal with Bruce, Lucius, and Jim when the trio tries to get into Arkham to find Selina. Meanwhile, Selina discovers that if she can't beat Firefly, she'll have to join her. Okay, we all know that Bruce Wade slash Batman hates making mistakes, especially those that endanger the people he cares about, like Selina. So naturally, putting her in danger, put him on the war path to do whatever is necessary to make it right. Because that gave us an episode riddled with flashes of Batman coming out within the young Bruce. However, even with Lucius, kind words of he, Selena, Gregorian walked into danger under their own decisions. We are probably going to be seeing Bruce come out of this situation with what could be one of Batman's flaws, which is shutting out the people around him in concern for their safety. Diego, is this what you see happening to Bruce after getting out of this situation? Maybe, Dan, but I hope not. One of the best parts of this telling of Batman and the characters around him and their origin stories has been that Batman slash Bruce Wayne has not been isolated, doing it all by himself, and rather has been working with Gordon, Selena, Alfred, and the other mainly Lucius Fox, I'm just not ready to see that change and go more isolated, so I hope it doesn't go that way, but I think you might be right that it might be. Go might be to these conflicted about. Yeah. Great tried it for a while, it didn't work. I think Alfred could always be in the loop. Yeah. So I think that's what's going on. So I think I'll always stay... So, I think that's where it's going to go. Gelford's going to stay in the loop, but everything else is going to going to change. I think that's going to be where it's going to be. I mean, it's season three again, so I feel like that's a dark place to go, because we all know that season three gets a little dark. 
for for Bruce's character. The show's kind of gone dark for Gordon this half right. of the season. Right. So it's, it's interesting to see. I think parts of next season is going to go dark for characters that didn't go dark this season. But I don't think we're going to see Bruce go off the rails and do something really out of character like we did with Gordon. Right. But again, with this step back for Bruce, he really did make some huge steps forward in this episode. Because I really love that scene he had with Alfred before going into Arkham, where Alfred admitted he wasn't going to stand in the way of Bruce becoming a hero. Because it would be wrong to prevent a man, basically, from taking after his father. He goes, did you really enjoy this moment of acceptance from Alfred? Because does this mean he's developed because of the character we know will do anything for Batman's crusade in the comic books? Because as long as he doesn't make himself a martyr or a killer? Yeah, I think he has realized that by trying to protect Bruce, he was preventing him from becoming the man Thomas would have wanted him to be. So Alfred is still going to try to protect Bruce, but also will do so by supporting his decisions and helping him to do things in the most logical and most likely to succeed way. I also hope as Bruce grows more towards Batman, we see more training with Alfred. I think that was some of the best stuff we got in season one. I hope that even if it's not them boxing or whatever, it's them training Bruce's mind and training him in the ways that will ultimately serve him as Batman. Yeah, I agree with that. I also thought that Alfred really wasn't trying to stand in Bruce's way. It was more he was standing by the fact that Bruce was no longer a child after his parents were killed. We've always said that there's, there's a story in the comic books where they said he let out his scream when his parents were killed. Get yet, no one ever heard him scream or show any sign of weakness after that ever again. Get, right. It was explained as he was never a child after that point. The child had died and he, he became a man. So I think Alfred got that at this scene at this conjecture. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but I think the scene where Batman really came out of Bruce, give this episode, because when he confronted Hugo Strange. In my opinion, for a young actor, David Manzus really just does a brilliant job of capturing the essence of the character. Okay, we can see that he's beginning to slip a little bit of the duality between Batman and his mask of Bruce Wayne into his performance. Okay, it's impressive how subtly he's doing it, and how slowly it's coming into play. In addition, it was interesting how we got to see a regretful, almost caring side of Hugo Strange. Because actor B.D. Wong played it in a way where you could just generally tell he didn't want his friend Thomas Wayne to die. He actually said he missed him at one point. But it seemed like he was too afraid of the Court of Owls to do anything about it. Although I still want the Wayne's death to be a random act violence. Because I think it being a case he can't solve gives Barrett his drive. So my thought is the Court of Owls taking credit for the murder is just a scare tactic for the city because their death opened doors for Gotham to be changed forever and be open to kind of the crazies coming up. So what do you think about this idea? Did you enjoy the scene between Bruce and Hugo Strange as much as I did? Because it was like watching one of the first times Batman could actually stare down a formidable enemy. You know, actually, Dan, I don't have as strong of feelings on the need for Batman not being able to solve his parents' murder as you do. I actually like the idea of the Court of Owls being behind the death. That gives it meaning or reason that ultimately makes it feel like Bruce was destined to become the Batman. And there was some fate to it. I, I don't know. It just, it, it, it's something I like. I also really like the Court of Owls idea and that they essentially seem like an evil version of the Batman family and a really great adversary to the to the Batman. So adding the fact that they killed his parents makes it even better and a more deep adversarial relationship. So in this version, I'm okay with them being behind behind the Wayne's murder, if that's the way it actually ends up going. Because just like every murder is a conspiracy now. The uniqueness of Batman was, it wasn't a conspiracy. I mean, there's been conspiracies in the story. Because the Court of Owls are a great conspiracy that they added to the comic books. But I don't know if they necessarily need to be connected to the death. 
Yeah, I don't think it has to. I I just think I'm okay with it if it does. I guess I'm just biased against it because I really did like some of the ideas that Grant Morrison had for Batman Rip. Quit Batman's family and some of that stuff. Right. I just hope it doesn't get into that. Because I don't think it will. Because I also really enjoyed the part of uh, Scott Snyder's story, The Good Snyder, with DC Comics. Story about the Carnivals and how Bruce thought they were behind it, but then they really weren't. Because it really cried taught me a good cautionary tale about how to be as great of a detective as he is. Yeah. That was interesting, and I liked the idea of the Carnivals kind of be this bedtime story that was told just to scare the children of Gotham, because then they turned out to be a reality. That was kind of interesting. It was like the childhood horror come back to haunt you. Like in that really great episode of Castle during the seventh season finale, where it got something that caught him from his childhood came back. That was really interesting as well. So that's what I like about it. We'll see if they go there. If not, we're still, I'm still going to keep watching the show. I'm not going to be so upset about it being a conspiracy that like, I'm done with this. I'm upset. It's not Felicity Smoke for me. So I'll, I'll be okay with this. Yeah. Now, speaking of the Carnivals, is it safe to say they want Hugo Strange to perfect the art of resurrection to create talents for them? In my opinion, I think the idea might be mentioned on the show, but I don't think we're actually going to see a talent because Bruce Ednick, the experiments in Indian Hill, could probably put the process gears behind schedule. What do you think about those ideas, Nico? Yeah, Dan, I agree. I don't think we'll see the talents on this series. And really, Asriel and the return of past villains like Mr. Freeze, Fish, Gallivant, it's all of those. I mean, I know Gallivant, it was Asriel, but right. you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. That'll be the focus and about as close to talents as we will get in this series. And what Bruce, Gordon, and the team do in the coming episode will probably set the talent program way back, as you mentioned. And that is why it's not revived until the times of the comics when Batman has emerged and the Court of Owls decides that his presence is causing too much of an interruption to their ruling of Gotham. And that's why I think later on they restart the research into the talents program to combat the disruption to their plans that Batman's causes. And that's why we get that comic book story about the talents coming after Bruce and the Batman family. But I think we're going to see a little hits throughout the series. I think Mr. Freeds will be a reoccurring villain throughout the series. Go him perfecting it. Could try to perfect it a little more. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that that's a, a good idea. But wh whatever they do with Strange and his research in this episode coming up, or, you know, in the next couple right. episodes, what if it goes into next season, will, like you said, set their program way back. Right. But they can't kill Strange, though. No. They have to kind of incapacitate him for a while, is what they have to do. Okay, do you think he'll, he'll be back next season? Or do you think they'll do something where he won't be around and then he'll, it'll be left for him to reemerge when Batman comes? I think something will happen, whether it's he's injured or he's disgraced and has to run away and hide or he's even put in prison for a while i i think whatever happens will incapacitate him and put him in a, in a position where he can't come back until later when batman emerges well i wonder if when he loses all of his research he becomes cut inspired and then Batman comes. And then it kind of inspires him again. Yeah, because when Batman emerges, so do a lot of the villains of the DC nation. And therefore, you know, we're going to see a lot of stuff change in Gotham. And that might be what inspires him to come back. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good call, Dan. Glad that complaints about Fish last season. Because I was kind of glad to see her go. After that terrible plotline on the Dollmaker's Island last season. Because that makes me wonder if we would have wanted to keep her around. If they made her a supervillain with abilities last season. Because now 
how quick what Strange did to her. She's really interesting to get. Because I think that it's so for her to retain her original personality really helps with that. Nico, are you enjoying what they're doing with Fish's return? Because is it possible her story might still get to season three? Because it seems like there's a lot they're opening the doors up for her to do with her newfound abilities. I was not a big fan of the news that they were bringing Fish back when they announced it a few weeks or months ago. But what we saw this week has me hopeful that it will be more like the first part of last season and not that damn story about Fish on the island. If they plan on keeping her on the show for more than just this episode and the finale episode next week, then they need to keep it interesting. And this new mind control or suggestive power she seems to have to have been given by Hugo Strange when touching someone gives me hope for that being the case. I just don't know, and I, I'm a little hesitant to say that I'm all on board for it, you know? Because as long as you get to do it to the pick one, because they're just duking it out, I think I'll be happy with that. Yeah, is is Butch going to get the whammy again? <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, see, I think there's a lot of pitfalls for them to fall prey to, but yeah. there's also probably a lot of good stuff they can do as well. Depending on how long they're going to keep her around, and what could be interesting is the temptation she could give Selena. Okay. That's that's where I think it could be interesting. Because I think there's more to play with with Pollock and Fish, get what their backstory was. Because that always interested me. He seemed to have a soft spot for it. He doesn't have a soft spot for a lot of people. I kind of want to know why. Yeah, I think he genuinely believed in her and he genuinely was friends with her or cared about her enough to, yeah. you know, really follow her. And it wasn't just because she was the boss. You know, he was willing to go up against Falcone with her. So yeah. I, I think he genuinely believed she was the right person to run Gotham. And so it'll be interesting when she comes back to see that and him to wonder if some of that was him being in influenced or or what or if there's going to be some sort of a fallout because he did turn on her and ultimately was responsible for her death yeah you know part of me thinks that they may have grown up together okay there, there's part of me that thinks that they'd either like grown up together or she did something for him or something where he felt loyal to her god i don't want to kind of want to go romance that just seems too obvious doesn't it yeah it definitely was not a romance it was more of a a friendship or a respect issue or or yeah. deal than it was him being in love with her that wasn't the case. Because that's why I felt like it was like a growing up with each other. Because yeah, they seem to know each other really well. Yeah, I like that idea. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I was thinking of Bullock. I think we saw a sign of why he doesn't want to be the city's top cop. And why he's going to probably try to get out of it. Because it's just it's difficult for him to deal with the media. I mean, it was hilarious. But at the same time, we're like, this is not good for the city. But at the same time, we were understood why he's needed as a Gotham cop. Get as Gordon's eventual right-hand man. With the way he set the full strength of the police after he goes strange. But the big question is, because he got to get there too late. I think he'll be able to get there in time to save Bruce and Lucius or to meet up with them as they save themselves, but not in time to catch Hugo in the Indian Hills experiments in progress because of Clayface acting as Gordon, keeping them busy or off the scent of things that are going on until Hugo Strange has time to get himself and his experiments away from Gotham. That's how I see it going anyway. I think that Bullock's going to show up. He would have been in time, but the fake Gordon's going to get in the way. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. That's that's how I think it's going to go down, too. Can I didn't get catch that it was Clayface right at the beginning of the episode when they first showed him. But they, 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 he's like, Hugo Strange is talking about, can we eject an octopod, venom or something? Yeah. To do the system. To get him, it's kind of like, who's that? I don't remember anybody about that. And then 
bad. Of course, they did the face thing and all that. So, okay, could get who it was. Because that was very old school, Clayface. What they did there. Yeah. It wasn't the Matt Hagen, well, the animated series Clayface, that was a big hunk of clay and kind of deforming the shape and look like. Because then he could transform, get the people on well for so long. Right. This guy needs something to make it happen. Because that's good because that was how I think Clayface originally was first introduced to the comics. Yeah, if I remember, he could manipulate his own face, but he actually had to, like, sculpt himself into looking okay. like someone else or, or something like that. I, I yeah. Was he introduced really early on? Because I know you you read a lot of the 1930s stuff. Uh, yeah. So I don't remember exactly when he he showed up, but it wasn't uh, he wasn't an original. Okay, I think he was a Bob Kane creation, but I think he came later on after Bill Finger was dead. I don't know if he's a Bill Finger creation. Right. Yeah. I, that I don't really know for sure. All right. Well, for next week, I'm thinking Lucius is going to point out to Bruce his skills as a detective because I think the room the Riddler has them trapped in is like a puzzle. Yeah. Bruce is going to somehow figure a way out. Then with Selena, I think she's just going to go along with Firefly and Toby. Gordon is right to double-cross her, because that's just classic Selena. Then with Gordon, I was surprised to see the polar classic Clayface maneuver with him, and I'm wondering if the season is going to end in a very similar fashion to Fred's season 2, with the raw Gordon being rescued. And it probably will end up being some crazy character like the Penguin figuring out something is up. What do you think about this idea, Nico? I like your idea that Bruce is going to figure out the room and a way to escape, because that's exactly what it seemed like he was doing when the episode ended. He kept looking around to see what they had and what they could use to work with to escape. I also think you're right about Selena, and she will go along with Firefly until she finds a way to get away. But as for Clayface, I am not a fan of that character, really, only because I'm not really a fan of many comic stories where he impersonates different heroes, allies, and even villains, and them acting out of character. It's just not a, a storytelling device that I really care for. I don't like Red Kryptonite, I don't like when people aren't themselves, and this is an extension of that. So I really hope that they don't go into next season season with the real Gordon still in captivity and an imposter Gordon taking his place for an extended period of time. Rather, I hope it only lasts a few scenes in the finale and then the two Gordons go head to head or something like that, or someone realizes something is wrong and they end up saving Gordon in the end. Uh, something so that it doesn't extend into next season. I'm not a big fan of that going forward into next season. Yeah, again, with, with Clayface, it feels like a Spider-Man chameleon fall line. Right. With Gordon and that's not the stories I like with Clayface. I much rather prefer for the stories of Clayface where he's dealing with the psyche of being an actor get his characters kind of messing with his head inside of him yeah. like they did on Batman the Emmett series or my favorite episode with Clayface on that show and it's probably my favorite Clayface story because the one where he he produced an offspring he had like a little girl that was like his clay model got Robin formed a friendship with her Okay. and then it, it's really a tragic ending of the story of what happens I mean it's really heartbreaking but it was just a, a really good story and just it was an interesting study of Clayface's psyche and stuff so again those stories they didn't involve shapeshifting. And I think those are better. I think the replacement stories, you're right, they're, they're not as good. So that's just my opinion. I just don't want to say, I don't like the Clayface character because I do. I just don't like certain particular stories that are told about him. Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit better that he can't. It's not that he just has to touch someone and then is able to right. mimic them. I think that is almost too much or too powerful of a uh, a power that I, I, I think that's where I don't like it when he can just switch from yeah. person to person to person. It, it almost like seamlessly 
instantaneous transformations. Well, God, that would have been serious. He could only transform to the characters he played. Right, but he could play those characters once he had, or play the part of people by coming into contact with them. Right. And that was the only way. And so he would like try to become someone else, or he, I think he even impersonated Gordon at one point. So, I mean, they have yeah. done it. I, I just. The comic books. I can't remember that if it was the animated series or the comic books. Yeah, I, I mean, I, we've read so many <laughs> comics and, and watched so many different shows that it's hard to keep them all straight after so many years. Yeah, but I, I do remember cause that first Clayface episode, come out of the animated series, he could only be people that he played okay. when he first got his ability and then later on in the fourth season he developed that ability to produce offspring and I forgot what exactly happened to him that made that happen I think it had to do with the episode where he tried to get himself cured he tried to get cured of being right. Clayface because something happened to them at the end of that episode where he was able to produce like other consciousness and give his clay models conscience okay conscience. yeah but yeah I think that's where it's gonna go really don't want him to pull that fringe twist with Gordon at the end if they do do it I hope it's like the first episode back and then they freeze all of it but we'll see. Okay. They may just wrap up the arc. It's, they've done that too. But with that, we're going to move into an episode of The Flash that, you know, it had a great positive feel to it. And then it just tragically broke our hearts. So let's talk about The Flash episode that brought on the return of a actor who is still greatly missed on Arrow. Good title, Invincible. My name is Barry Allen. I am the fastest man alive. After his time in the Speed Force, Barry is eerily confident that the team can handle Zoom and his army of Earth 2 metahumans. Meanwhile, Wally sets out to be a hero, and Cisco has ominous vibes of the future. Another purpose of both Arrow and the Flash is to watch these characters start out as heroes, can develop into what they are in the comic books. So with this episode, Guy fought Barry Allen, kind of met up with his character in the comic books by coming out of the Speed Force with his optimism, with you know the optimism of saying good will prevail no matter what Zoom sends his way. Now I know some of the characters were concerned about Barry as optimism, to the episode, but I felt it was just right for the character. Because I think Iris felt that way as well, but I liked how she allowed Barry to kind of see both sides of the coin by reminding him it's okay to have a little fear. It's a great reminder that she's the force that keeps him grounded. Vika, did you feel like we saw Barry Allen get his prime with his optimism? Can will we see this version of the character again? I think we saw the optimistic comic book character and the character that this Barry Allen will eventually become, but unfortunately with what happened at the end of the episode, I'm not sure we will see him him as optimistic and happy until we get out of next season, which I guess will maybe be a darker season than we were expecting originally. I think this was the Barry we know will eventually return, but my guess is not for a while now because he will feel that if he hadn't been too overconfident, then Zoom would never have been able to hurt him in a way he was not expecting. He may even start to question whether the Speed Force is actually on their side or not. And that's not exactly where I want to see this show go, but I think it won't be a full dark season three like we've seen on other yeah. shows. I think that the, the Flash as a character is necessarily too optimistic for that, but there will be some dark periods ahead. But it feels like we've already had dark periods. Yeah, I, I think we're in for another one. Yeah, it's, it's kind of going in cycles. I don't know if I necessarily like that. I just don't want it to get repetitive. So, we'll see. Yeah. Okay, and again, we've got more about that in a minute, with the big shocker at the end of the episode. But speaking of coming into their own, this episode really gave us a quick glance of the Wally West, who finds it a pure joy to be the Flash, with that smile he got on his face, could save Barry from Black Siren. Because did you enjoy this Wally moment? Does it make you excited for when he's going to become a superhero? I kept expecting to see the Flash or Barry shake Wally's hand to give him superpowers like we predicted last week. Yeah, me too, Dan. But Wally figured things out in the last scene of the episode, so maybe we will get something between 
these two that ultimately gives Wally his powers in this next finale episode. I, you know, I was sort of expecting it, it this week, but maybe now that Barry might be doubting himself after losing his father, he'll realize he needs more help to take down Zoom. And he may be, you know, he may have been able to stop the metas himself, but for Zoom, he needs all the help he can get, including Wally. So I think that might be why we see it happen next week. Because I think there's going to be a situation where Wally's like, oh my God, something could happen to my dad too. Yeah. Like, I've got to help. I got to do something. Well, I think Joe actually gets taken hostage or something in the finale. And that might be when, when Barry goes to, to Wally and said, we need to do something together. And they activate his powers. Because yeah. Wally's going to want to do something. We, we already saw it in this episode. God, that's, that's Wally what? That's, that's the character that's eager to help. He's always eager to run in and save the day and do the heroic thing. And sometimes it gets him into trouble because we've seen. Because sometimes it makes me laugh when it happens in the wrong way. I hope he gets some of that next year. I hope that brings kind of the light into the dark season next year. Because Wally, just how much he, he does love being the Flash. Can't get into the girls because he's the Flash. So I hope he gets some of that fun stuff. Again, I can also see them doing stuff with Jesse where he's flirting around and stuff and it just drags her up the wall, which would be kind of fun. So we'll see where it goes there. But I really anxious to see Wally get his powers and do his thing. Cause, yeah, I'm a fan of Wally West. I'm sorry, I know people don't like me sometimes saying that, that I'm the, the, the outsider, but it's a Flash I grew up on. So that's how I feel. I mean, it's not going to change, but I do. I'd be good to really enjoy the Barry Allen character and appreciate what he stands for as well. Thanks to this show. So I was very right to tell Joe to just let Wally do his thing because he was just trying to take capture the example Joe had kind of set for him as gay father. Did this kind of fit with the same reasons why Alfred sort of let Bruce risk his life on this week's episode of Gotham? Barry realized that Wally was a hero at heart, just like he was and Joe was. So to try to take that away from him to keep him safe would be a slow way of killing him and would eventually turn Wally away from Joe and the family because they were treating him like a child. I like that Joe realized that his adopted son knew exactly what he needed to do with his natural son because that is what Joe had already done with Barry first. It shows just how much of a family they are and are going to become when Barry and Wally don't have this major secret between them anymore. Can I'm going to amend your statement to say that Iris is a hero as well. Oh, for sure. I, I was just yeah. focusing on the three guys involved in this discussion. But yeah, Iris is yes. a hero as well. Yeah, they just the whole family has a heroic sense of that. That's the main point I want to get to. Because you're absolutely right. I mean, them seeing it this way, it's going to make them a stronger family. And they want to stick together. Because I think they're going to need each other quite a bit after what happened at the end of this episode. God, what could happen next week? Right. Just please don't kill Joe off. Please. Can I tie you up? I, I think it would be overkill to to kill Henry in this episode and Joe in the next episode. That right. would be that would be too much. Plus, Wally does not become the Flash out of revenge. He he comes comes out of it because he realizes that Central City needs help. Crying much like he did in this episode. Right. You know, the city was in danger and he stepped it up and then did something about it. Again, we're not going to see any of that skepticism about taking on the battle of the Flash or becoming the Flash or anything like that because, you know, Barry had to die and I don't think they're going to do anything like that. But I do think he's going to see something tragic happen and realize, I need to step up and I want to help. And I think seeing the death of Henry was a part of that. Yeah. Now, speaking of killing characters, this episode reminded me of what a mistake it was for Arrow to kill off, could push a great actress like Katie Cassidy off to the side. Because whenever The Flash is a series, because lucky enough to get an actor that has regular cast member experience, cut another show, they just absolutely shine. I mean, we got that with Dominic Purcell, Ken Wentworth Miller, and I think we got it here with Katie Cassidy. Ken, you could just, come on, Mark Hamill too, I can't forget him. Ken, you could just tell Katie was just having a great time changing things up by getting to be the bad guy. Ken, I'm very happy they kept Black Siren alive. 
because I hope that means we can see Kerr again got our other favorite CW superhero shows. Because I really want to see a showdown between Black Siren and White Canary. So Legends Riders, please put that into next season. So Nico, did you enjoy Black Siren as a villain of the week? Yeah, mainly because I think Katie Cassidy is and was the best actress on any of the three CW shows. And to get more of her is always going to be a good plan. With Kyler, Callista, and Melissa joining the CW shows next season, I'd say they are on par with what we were getting from Katie Cassidy on Arrow. As for having fun getting to switch things up this week to play the villain, I know most actors love the chance to play the villain because often they get to have a lot more fun as a villain than they do as a hero. So I'm sure she loved it and it showed as I loved watching it and, and seeing her in that role. It was it was a lot of fun. Could we get a reoccurring villain kind of this character you think? I don't know. I, I think she's, because they cut her from Arrow, she's going to fr- find her place on another show and another series. So it'll probably be a- as time per- allows for her to come yeah. back. Yeah, and again, it's still, still say it was a mistake. Oh, huge mistake. Right after what we've seen here to this episode, it's it's, it's terrible. Thank God we're going to have Kyler and Melissa kick Melissa Flockhart back extra at Supergirl because they're, they're the strong female characters for the CWDC shows with Katie Cassidy God. Good, please, can we get it seen? God's Supergirl if they do the crossover where Calista Flockhart just puts Felicity in her place. Guys got Grant. That would be awesome. Could I, would it, it would be awesome, but it won't happen. Could I, just, just a thing to put on my wish list, but I know it will never happen. Anyhow, I have this inkling that the reunion between John Wesley's ship and his co-star in the original Flash TV series Amanda Pace gave me this bad feeling Henry wasn't going to survive the season. And I was upset to see him go because reruns of the original Flash TV show were a part of my childhood because I watched reruns of that and the Linda Carter Wonder Woman TV series on Sci-Fi Channel. But then I reminded myself that this could put our guard down to the fact that the man in the mask could actually be Real Jay Garrick, a.k.a. Henry Ellen's doppelganger. In my opinion, this would be a very good idea to keep Barry pushing forward with the optimism we displayed in this episode. Instead of reverting backwards, because of the depression he was in after being defeated by Zoom, got mid-season, and then returning from Earth 2, as I think meeting an alternate version of his father could function in the same way that an alternate version of Batman called Bruce Wayne get a flashpoint. So, Nico, what did you think of this major death? Did you like my idea regarding how the writers could prevent Barry from going back into depression? Yeah, I do think that this increases the likelihood of our theory of the man in the iron mask being the doppelganger of Henry. You're probably correct, or at least I hope you are correct, that when Barry realizes this or saves him, that this will help with not reverting to the depression and malaise he was suffering at the beginning of this season when he blamed himself for the breaches and metas coming to Earth 1 from Earth 2, and then again when Zoom defeated him and nearly killed him the first time. I really don't think we need to see a dark third season with Flash, and I don't want to see the Iris and Barry relationship to blow up, and things to get reset by what happened this week and what will undoubtedly happen in the finale. I hope that it doesn't go full reset on that. I, I just don't think we need that. I, I don't want to see it, and I hope it doesn't go that way. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Garry's and Barry are there to stay. No, I just think it's the best thing for the show. Because they went for years in the comic book with Iris and Barry being married. Good dealing with that, and Iris being kind of his moral support of the crisis is. Yeah, I think this is a family show, so I think they should become a family. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I'd like to see. And, you know, Wally's the, the wacky brother that lives upstairs. And, you know, we get we get some of the fun sitcom dynamic here too. That's 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 what I want to see. They've, they've always described Flash as a family show, so I think this is a show that's built for characters to have steady relationships and not the rocky road that we got for Felicity and Oliver. Right. So that's that's what I'd say. And again, Arrow's the darker show. This is it. But I do think we're going to see Barry be sad at points next season. Good one. We're going to get his Iris pulling him back, getting him back to being optimistic. I think that's a lot of what it's going to be. Because it's Barry being uh, the light that's going to come. Because Wally and Iris kind of pull. Like about it. Good job as well. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Can please make Cisco become vibe too? That would be a good story arc because the powers came out this week. Yeah, I was happy to see that. That was one of the the better things <laughs> that happened in this episode. I mean, it was a great episode. I, I thought yes. it was a great setup, and the vibe stuff was really cool. And then the fact that he couldn't do it a second time, so that makes me think that we're going to see it happen. He's going to have to start training and learn how to control it. Yeah, I think it was kind of a fear for Caitlin because his friend, no shipping going on there, folks. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I, I was very sad to see John Wesley ship go, but he might not be gone. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yep. Okay, with that, we're going to get into Canero episode. It's kind of just going to be to the point where I'm getting burnt out on this Genesis storyline. And I kind of want them to change it to back to something that's a little more urban street crime back in the vein of season one and two. So maybe that's what we're getting next year. Seems like they have plans for it, but uh, let's finish out our thoughts on this season with the Arrow episode, Lost in the Flood. While Green Arrow and Spartan infiltrate Tevet Noah to find Thea, Felicity and her father work with Curtis to stop Hive from accessing Rubicon. You know, Deacon, I'm really getting to the point where I just sort of want this season's story to be over with so we can move on to something else. Yep. Because it's beginning to kind of go over the top. Because I just, I don't like it again. This might just be Felicity stuff and the crap that coming to this episode just kind of turning me off to the whole thing. But sometimes I just don't like seeing Vigilante superheroes kind of broad daylight suburban setting. Because it kind of bothered me here with them running around Tevet Noah and all that stuff. I mean, some of the lighter superheroes, like Superman and the Flash, could make it work running around the daylight and stuff. So the Green Arrow, but the Green Arrow, get this study, just kind of crooked out of place to me. Could you go, did this not feel right to you as well? I didn't really have a problem with Oliver and Diggle heading into Tevet Noah or the Ark essentially in full superhero gear because essentially the entire facility was Hive and Hive supporters and it would make sense that they would go up against them in full superhero gear even if the fake sunlight that was in the underground bunker was in full display and it wasn't really nighttime like we would prefer. That doesn't really work in the daylight in Star City, I agree, but in the Ark, I was okay. It was fine for me. But again, you do agree that we're getting a little tired of the story. Yeah, I, I, I've been okay with Genesis. I think it's an alright story and we'll get into more of this in a moment but I think I'm just fatigued in general with the story because of a lot of the Felicity stuff just making it so hard to watch and right. I definitely have some more to say on that when we get to that section of the episode. And I think that's affecting the main story because I'm looking for things to complain about that because I'm so turned off by Felicity. I'm not really looking for things to complain about. I'm just complaining because I am so turned off about it. Like, I mean, I've never kept working for things to complain about. It's just making me not enjoy the other parts either. Yeah, yeah, that I will 100% agree. It just, it's, it's, you get so turned off, it's just like, good, I'm done with everything. Good on that note, I mean, why did Felicity's mom have to be in this episode? I mean, I tried to give her the benefit of the doubt last week when we talked, but now I'm seeing her wanting Captain Lance to be honest. Because her and Felicity's capability to just forgive people for making mistakes. No one's perfect in a relationship. Because sometimes there's going to be lies and miscommunications and stuff. Because you got to get past that. You can't be so cutthroat. Because some people might just cookies me of being the typical guy. Good with that philosophy. You know, that the woman is always right. But this doesn't come across as the attitude for either one of them to have. Get a healthy relationship. Get thank God the calculator. Can Curtis were in these seats? Because they would have been impossible to watch otherwise. Because do you think the Felicity stories should focus on hacking? Get the calculator? Consider on our trust issues? Did this also have an effect on your enjoyment? Got this story? 
Andre for Gulliver Inside Genesis. Dan, the Felicity in the Calculator stuff and the Felicity and Curtis stuff and really all of those scenes minus Donna were excellent this week and some of the most watchable Felicity scenes for me in a long while because once again they were using Felicity for what she was intended to be, the world-class hacker and tech aspect of Team Arrow. The other heroes are the muscle, Oliver is the leader and strategist, and Felicity is the technology brain that equips them with all the best tech, creates ways for them to do their job through hacking, making, and innovating awesome tools for the team to use in the field. She is like Watchtower, and even her codename, Overwatch, implies that she's not in the fight, but watching over them with the eyes in the sky, or from a vantage point where she can watch their backs. That was the good of this episode. Everything with Donna was the reason I have hated the Felicity character and story all season long. It was pointless. It was daytime soap opera drama bullshit, and utterly pissed me off to the point of completely taking me out of the flow of the episode. I had a hard time not just turning the episode off when that crap started, Dan, because at one point I said, I hate this. I don't want to watch this. This show is, is if this is what it's going to be, I don't want to watch it anymore. Had Curtis and the calculator not been there, and it appears the calculator is gone after this episode, then these scenes would have been unwatchable. Not unenjoyable, but utterly unwatchable. I think what's going to happen, because I think this is the smart move they should do, because I know it's crappy for Captain Lance because he loses somebody else, but I think they should kill Donald off next week. Kind of that brings the calculator back to wanting to be in Felicity's life. Can they do more of that story? Yeah, I think it needs to be a result of Donna's not understanding what it means to be part of the right. working with the Green Arrow and her thinking that, you know, whatever her ridiculous thoughts are, are get her killed. Yeah, well, again, she sent the calculator away. Because look what happened. They all got captured. They all got abducted by uh, David Dark. So I think it needs to be her fault that that happened. So I think that's where they should go. Yeah, I like that. Good guy, guy, don't like they just kill a person, but she's getting to the point where it's not annoying. But watch Curtis do some cool stuff next week to make help them escape. Now with those complaints, gonna want this episode to sound like an entire waste because it did have some good ideas, like anarchy coming in to complicate pants for both the good guys and the bad guys by blowing up Genesis. Cause the part of Star City come of it, as I really think this will set up some great challenges and villains from Oliver to deal with next season as they kind of come out of the rumble while Oliver becomes. Probably the mayor of the city. With that being said, I also really like the encounter with the family that said they wanted to be a part of Genesis because the Green Arrow's way of protecting the city was not working. In my opinion, that should have been the focus of the entire season through the election story, which they sort of gave up on for more Felicity Oliver relationship crap instead of it just being part of one scene like we got in this episode. Can I believe that Oliver's victory over Damien Dark is going to be revealing that he's the Green Arrow to the city? Because after the destruction that's been caused, I think Star City needs more than a vigilante to survive and everyone to not just abandon the city. Because you think the writers got a good idea with the people giving up on the Green Arrow protecting them that they should have played up more all season instead of being bogged down with falsity nonsense magic and the sci-fi garland of Dr. Moreau concept of Genesis? Dan, I actually like the Genesis and Damien Dark story arc all season, but I, I think they could have tied the story to the story of Oliver running for mayor and had more of a the conflicts in the streets influence his policy and campaign strategies while running for mayor, and maybe that will be the focus of next season's story if it goes the way we think it will with Oliver becoming mayor and possibly outing himself to the public as the Green Arrow. So things that are going on in the streets and what he and his team are fighting battles as the Green Arrow will then influence his policy decisions as mayor. I think that's definitely the way we want to see that go. But I think it would have been fun to see the hidden Oliver going up against Damian Darth and everything that 
he learned as the Green Arrow influencing his actions as the candidate for mayor. And we saw that a little bit, but I think it would have been more interesting if that had gone the entire season and a lot more in depth. Okay, I don't want to say I don't like the story. I just think they could have done it better or in different ways to make it more interesting. Yes. That's that's my big point. And I think the reason why there was no room to do that because they kept putting in this Felicity romance script. Yep. I mean, really, it looked probably, I thought the first half of the season was pretty darn good. You know, when we thought they really were going to kill Felicity off and there was promise and then there was all the stuff with Laurel and the, the going on trial with David Dark and all of that stuff was very, very interesting. Good. They, they, they did away with it all. Good. I, good again, I really like the story where Oliver runs for mayor and becomes mayor in Star City. I really like that Green Arrow story. Good. I thought, oh, they're going to do it. We're going to get it told and maybe, yeah, it could still happen next season. But I really think they could have done it sooner and I think that would have been better than what we got instead of playing the kill off the character game to a solution that we really didn't like and doing dumb stuff good Felicity I'm not saying Felicity has to be off the show but I don't think they should have quit so far with the romance I think she should have been the hacker like we said because since they broke up and she's been in that role the character's been a lot better so that's my two cents on it okay but again I think the writers realize that they they fell short they dropped the ball this season that they didn't come through on some things the, the flashback issue was the start of it when they came out and said yeah it really didn't work we're gonna try something new so that's good and there's an article that confirms that and then there's a new article that recently came out saying that they're going to bring in almost like a Punisher like get that hero for Oliver to face next season again again I think this is more writers realizing they're having problems they're kind of looking at the superhero and vigilante show that works notice Daredevil and taking things from that to improve their series because I think we're going to see a lot of DC doing that with this got their films because I think Jeff Johns got the idea to decide look Marvel's model's working I think we should use it too but Warner Brothers was inviting them to do that because hands were tied and I think because hands are untied so I think with that being said in the motion with the DC films I think the TV shows are making these moves as well so I think with them bringing in a vigilante Punisher-like character they're going to do this by revealing this character who they're calling James as of now because the casting as the Jason Todd Red Hood because they're just going to say he's the Red Hood kind of leave the Batman connections kind of it for various reasons but I'm saying it's him because he fits the description of a DC-like Punisher of a DC Punisher-like character pretty well good in addition we know the character is a close friend of Roy Harper. So maybe Roy returns to the city because he recognizes Jason as an old friend of his for when he was living on the streets. What do you think of this possibility, Nico? Would it be a great way to bring Arrow back to the dark, realistic, vigilante drama that it started out as during the first two seasons? I think it could be a good move. Last week, we also discussed the possibilities of metas being created by the nuclear blast and those people finding out about Oliver as the Green Arrow and coming after him and the team to seek revenge for causing the destruction of Monument Park. I still see that as a viable possibility for next season as well. I like the idea of staying more grounded and a Jason Todd sort of Red Hood character would be more grounded than a bunch of metahumans and maybe they should leave those to the Flash show. I just hope they fix some of the Felicity issues we've had by focusing more on Curtis on the team and not on the Felicity family drama and Oliver and her relationship. If they steer clear of that stuff, I'm, I'm sure I'll enjoy what I suspect will be the final season of this show. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I, I want it to go as well. That would be just fun and I think it would be a good way for the show to to end on a good note if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think they've, they've gone to the biggest scale they could go with the show for this Genesis story. So now I think it's just focusing on the aftermath of the cleanup. Because they're getting Star City to a place where, okay, Gulliver's in control of it. He's running it and it's safe. 
clearly it's in a decent place. I don't know if it's ever going to be safe because, you know, we always like the idea of clearly the heroes are always out there fighting, but I think it's going to be less out of control than it was before. Okay. So that's where I see it going. And if his next season is the final season, I do think, depending on how his schedule is and if he gets picked up to start doing movies, I think we will see Gulliver uh, reappear on these TV series. Do you agree with that notion? Yeah, I, I hope that. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. The other thing is, I'm kind of hoping now that Jeff John gets more creative control and decisions that maybe they can bring Steven into the films, but I don't know if they're going to do that big of an overhaul yet. Right. Because I do feel like they're not liking Snyder's decisions, but he's on the way out. So I'm very curious what they're going to tweak and what they're going to change. But even if Ezra Miller stays as The Flash, because that movie's kind of in turmoil right now. Right. They lost another director, I think, or yeah, something. Gets falling apart. So, good again, I think that was a big reason why Jeff John is being brought into you know, put out the fire here. Keep things under control. But we'll see, and it's going to be interesting how Cub Supergirl falls into place with all these things, too. Which, actually, will get into the point that I'll bring up during our Legends of Tomorrow discussion at the end. So I guess with that, we'll talk about the Legends of Tomorrow season finale that I enjoyed. Got set up the show for some big changes that need to be done next season entitled Legendary. <laughs> Season 1 ends with Rip returning the team to Central City a few months after they first left. They return to their normal lives and must decide individually whether to sacrifice everything in order to save the world. Meanwhile, Sarah visits with her family, who delivers some heartbreaking news about her sister. Yeah, don't get excited. Just because this episode was entitled Legendary, we did not get an appearance from Neil Patrick Harris in this episode. Just want to make that clear. But we did see Paul Blackthorne return, and I was glad to see this episode return the team to Central City so he could come in and they could address something they should have done with weeks ago which is Sarah finding out about the death of her sister Laurel. Again, I think Sarah should have been given an entire episode dedicated to dealing with the tragedy like we talked about. But the stuff we got was pretty good because it gave us a great scene with Rip Hunter that made up for the wasted appearance from Captain Lance we got a few weeks ago where we thought they were going to address the death. Dika, what were your thoughts on Kelly and May could address the death of Laurel for Sarah? Dan, I agree it would have been even better had they done this weeks ago and spent more of an episode with Sarah dealing with the loss of Laurel and how that affected her and their mission as a team had more of a discussion on why Sarah could not go back and save Laurel, which we'll get to next, and not felt so rushed in this episode. I thought it was important and was given as much time as this episode allowed, time-wise, but could have been even better if they had had about a half an episode to deal with it and not have wrapped it into the season finale where things tend to feel rushed anyway. Overall, it was handled fairly well for something that I did not agree with in the first place. The other question I had was, did the timeline get thrown off for this show? Because wasn't this show supposed to premiere sooner than it did? That I don't remember. Okay, because I was just curious if, you know, this was meant to correspond with the Duff Cavoral episode, but because, you know, they pushed back the start date, it didn't work out that way. That could, quite frankly, be the case, and I, I just don't know. Yeah, just, just, a, just a thought, and maybe they just decide to wait. That's true, too. Because with time travel, you can kind of get away with it, but I think it should have been addressed sooner than later, because... You know, it just kind of seemed a little after the fact. Yeah. Now, speaking of the time travel aspect of why they can't bring Laurel back, given though I think they should, our friend of the podcast, Clark Schreiner, asked us how Rip knows that Sarah, Laurel, and Captain Lance are supposed to die. However, I took this in one of two ways. That all of the Lances were supposed to die at the hands of Damien Dark. But because Rip took Sarah through time, it presented that, it prevented that fate from happening. Or Rip was trying to explain that Sarah messing with the timeline could cause herself get her entire family to die. Because way of also explaining why he has accepted that he can't save his family for the same reasons. Nico, how did you understand this explanation? Because I got to 
it in multiple ways. Before Rip chose Sarah to join the team, he saw her, Laurel, and Detective Lance dying in the original timeline at the hands of Damien Dark as part of the Arrow story arc. But by taking Sarah with him on the mission to kill Vandal Savage, that changed the timeline enough that Sarah and Detective slash Captain Lance were no longer killed, only Laurel was. That was what Rip was telling Sarah, that if he took her back in time, essentially undoing her not being in Star City and the influence that that had on the team, not only would she not be able to stop Laurel's death, she and her father would also be killed by Damien Dark. Rip knows this because Gideon was able to see it in the time stream before the Nexus was destroyed. He also realized that no matter what he did to attempt to stop his wife and son's death, it would fail because the only way his mission to kill Savage would succeed was if they had died. And even if he attempted to save them, he'd fail and Savage would survive. It was only by accepting their deaths that it allowed him to win in the end or, or to succeed in the end. And the same was true of Sarah. She had to accept Laurel's death as the only possible way for, for her and her father to survive as well. So probably the thought process was that Sarah would have been at the prison and would have been killed alongside Laurel that night. Yep. Okay. So we, because she was avoided the fate of being got the prison she's around. Or she and Captain Lance would have gone after Damien Dark on their own Oh yeah. as some sort of revenge plot and been killed in the process as well. Okay, that makes sense. It, somehow, the three of them would all have ended up dead because of it. Because he probably would have set off Sarah's bloodlust. That is definitely a possibility. Because then she went after him and Lance was angry anyway because so they all went after him. Yep, that would make sense. Or Sarah could have been the one that was killed first, and that put right. Laurel and her father on the warpath, and that's what got them killed. So, I mean, there's all kinds of right. different scenarios that could and have And if you think about it, he might have, Rip might have saved everybody, the entire team. Because in that future, which Rip said wasn't set in stone, they had all died. Yep. Maybe that's the reason why. Just an interesting thought there. But again, let's not go into the what-if scenario. There's plenty of other things we've got to talk about with this episode, especially what could happen next year when I get to that. So I'm going to talk about, because this episode right now, the presence, because I think right favorite part of this episode was Firestorm learning how to transmogrify because they felt it brought Jackson and Professor Stein full circle on learning how to work together. It was just a nice moment to see Jackson have enough respect, get care for his mentor, to talk with Stein's wife before they made the decision to return to traveling through time. Do you go with the Firestorm stuff? Can I highlight for you with this episode as well? Yeah, and I I gotta say that the guy who plays Jax, Franz Drama, yeah. was the surprise breakout of this season for me. Sure, Victor, Arthur, Katie, and Wentworth were all amazing most of the season, but the Jax character was the surprise of the season for me with how far the character came and matured and just became awesome throughout the first season. I really enjoyed seeing all of that this season. It was, it was really great. And I think Franz and Victor have uh, this great, great relationship. And yes. it, it just comes through in the Jax and Professor Stein story. And I think we, we started seeing the real change. Like it was so subtle and so good and so well done throughout the entire season that we really didn't get a, a feel for it until we saw the current Jax interact with the former and early yeah. uh, Professor Stein last episode of Yeah, he was... He really was a great part of me. I feel like the others we had talked about had already established themselves. Guys, great actors for other things we've seen around. Great previous CW superhero shows. But with Franz, it's he just was really, I mean, he really was the breakout. I agree. He works so much well. And I think the thing that happened with him is, I think he's better talented. I think he has more talent than maybe uh, Sierra Renee, maybe. Yeah. That's one big thing. Yeah, the guy was getting to work one-on-one with Victor Garber. I mean, what a great mentor. Get someone to have to work with. That's a young actor. That's kind of awesome. It's great he got that experience. 
And I'm sure with the bond that these two characters have to have to play Firestorm and Nav to Professor Stein, Jack's bond, they probably had to spend a lot of time together getting to know each other and outside of the show to really make this work. So you could just tell that these guys enjoy working together and they have a great relationship and it's just a really cool thing to see. And I think that it increases our enjoyment for watching these guys together as well. Yep. Because thank God they're back next season. Great move there, folks. Now, I thought it was fitting that the team had to kill three Vandal Savages because multiple characters sort of needed to give him his comeuppance. Keith Wave, of course, needed to avenge Captain Cold. Sarah needed to take out her frustrations over Glorl's death. And Rip needed to avenge his family. Speaking of Rip, it was pretty darn cool to see him pull off the Back to the Future Part 2, jumping off the roof, got to the flight, time machine trick. Because the way he got out of Kevin to go down with the Wave Rider, because it flew towards the sun, goes pretty stuck as well. Nico, were you happy with the way this team of heroes quit about saving the day? Yeah, I thought splitting the team up and attacking a mortal version of Savage in three times in the timeline and allowing three characters other than Kendra and Carter to kill him was great. I just don't think we could have bought Kendra actually yep. killing Savage, so I was glad it was the others and they found a way to make it make sense within the story. I, I just think they realized at some point that the Hawk Girl was not working and they, they changed the story. Yeah, they did. They did a pretty big fashion. And I think they, they kind of at the end of the season looked at it and thought, who worked on this show? And they, they listed a couple of characters. And then, of course, they thought, who would make sense to kill Savage? Like, I think if we saw Ray kill Savage, that wouldn't have made any sense. Because he's not known as a superhero. Who kills? And I think the same kind of goes for Firestorm as well. So, so I think it was, okay, we really like the job these characters did. Good, yes, they need to get the kill. And then Arthur, of course, he deserved that more than anybody. Yeah, I think he quote the most consistent story arc throughout the season. Do you agree with that? Yeah, if if not also the Firefly or Captain Cold stuff. But yeah, yes. I, would, I would say that those three were the ones in my book that were pretty consistently great every every episode. Right, so I think that was a good choice to have them get away with it because, again, we wanted to block Kendra, there's no way. Nope. Okay, with Cold out of the picture, I mean, I would have said Cold should have killed, you know, one of the versions of Savage, but since he had died, or supposedly died, last week, Heatwave was the next best option. Plus the rogues, I mean, when one of their own goes down, they're going to get revenge. Right. Because Reverse Flash did some things to screw with them. I and mean, actually, the original trickster died because they reacted to that not very well. They would have got their revenge. Because just say that much. So it totally made sense that, that he waved did that. Yep. Now, Mark also asked us who was the biggest loss of the team, Captain Cold or the Hawks? Because I definitely have to say that Captain Cold was the big loss. Even though he's coming back to the show, got a reoccurring role in the Flash as well. But I'm frankly glad to see Hawkman and Hawkgirl leave the show. The actor who played Hawkman was great, but they had to go because they just couldn't make it work. Because I especially just hated it in this episode that she was basically reduced to now from a deadly do-right cartoon. I mean, honestly, I thought she was going to end up tied up on the railroad tracks in 1958, get the way her story was going in this episode. I mean, this is supposed to be an unstoppable, fierce warrior character that seeing her tied up almost the entire episode was just kind of ridiculous. Unfortunately, with the departure of the superheroes who reminded Keith Wave of Chicken, which is a very funny line, we had to deal with the loss of Vandal Savage, who was a pretty solid villain due to his close ties to the Hawks. Nico, I know you had hoped Savage would be a villain throughout the entire series, but do you think it's still possible he could return as a reoccurring villain maybe once or twice a season? Are you glad to see the Hawks gone as well because the show really needs to have a different story or direction to keep you watching? I too will miss the Vandal Savage character as the villain of the series, but if it means that Kendra is off the show, then I would say I will take it as an even trade. Plus, since we are dealing with time travel, we could essentially see Savage show up in time before he was killed in 1958, so I could see him showing up from time to time
time throughout the series, and the team having to attempt to not destroy the timeline by interacting with him again, or something like that. Anyway, I'm really happy to see Kendra go, although I have said from the very beginning when we saw Hawkman on the crossover event with Arrow and Flash that I really enjoyed this version of Carter Hall and thought that actor was great, so I am sorry to see him thrown out with the Kendra bathwater, but they just couldn't make her work. I'm hopeful that another new story will be started, and the series essentially gets a bit of a reset button treatment for season 2. Losing Captain Cold was unfortunate, but I'm hoping that his potential revival by killing Savage and undoing some of the events from the timeline allows Captain Cold to return to the Flash and possibly even as a guest on this series as well. But we'll get into that a little bit more in a moment on where I think our theories on that will go. Yeah, man. I mean, rightful decision on Hawkgirl. Good Hawkman, I want Cold back, though. Okay, speaking of Cold, I thought the goodbye between Heatwave and Captain Cold captured these two characters, got their relationship brilliantly. And I was glad to see Quentworth Miller get a funnel bow in this finale because he, Arthur Darnell, and Victor Garber were the best parts of the show in my mind. But the big question is, how will Captain Cold come back? Are we still going with the theory you had Nico about the vanishing point? Or will they just pull Cold kind of a different point in time, like when we saw him here? Yeah, Dan, on this I don't have all the details worked out for this theory, but by going back in time and killing Savage in 1958, 1973, or 76, whichever it was, and 2021, not 2046, they may have undone the events at the vanishing point because the Vandal Savage they took there was from 2046 and would no longer exist after they killed the 2021 version. And if they killed him in those three times, he would not have made it to the 2046 and would not have been recognized by the Time Masters as the only hope for human future against the Thanagarians, and thus the events of the vanishing point would be undone and Cold would survive. The other thought I had was that since that scene with Heatwave and Captain Cold was from 2013, this was just Captain Cold before he went on the mission and the Captain Cold from the team still died in the vanishing point. And this was Mick saying goodbye, which means the whole Captain Cold being on the show next season as a big, it was essentially a big fake out or more accurately a lie they told us to keep us interested in the episode to see how they fixed and changed that from last week. I think no such luck is my guess. I think he might be dead for real. But what's interesting is they kept Dominic Purcell on the show. Right. And we know he's doing Prince Break. So I don't know how that works. Yeah, I don't know either. That's why I think Cold's going to be back. That's, that's why I do think that. Again, 2013, that was the first season of The Flash, right? Uh, wasn't it before the first yeah, season it might have of been The Flash? Before. Yeah. Okay. Because my thought process was, maybe he was smart enough to figure out something was up and he kind of avoided his fate. Because he is that smart. I don't know. Yeah, 2014 was when The Flash started, so okay. it was before The Flash started. Because I just I can't buy the fact that there is a Flash show out there that Captain Cole can't be on it. That just bothers me. Agreed. Because I'm just a big Rogues fan. Because I thought we'd get more Rogues and they play up play up the Rogues and I think the other idea of this show, they kind of got greedy, got took that away from The Flash. And so when it said, well, he might be a reoccurring character, I was like, okay, good. Maybe we'll go back to the Rogues. Because I just don't know what's more interesting for The Flash than doing the rogues next season unless they do something really big which I'm going to get to in a moment that's going to encompass all four CW shows so I, I mean I just don't know what they can do next and again I'd say you know make the trickster a season long reoccurring villain but Clark Hamill doesn't have the time for that because we know all too well and I doubt even if we're going to see the trickster next season because of his commitment to Star Wars which is a, a trade-off I'm actually okay with <laughs> yeah me too I am. I'll take that trade any day of the week to see more Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker yes I will too but that's just my thought process but about next season, now that Legends has dropped the Justice Society ball on us, Mark asked, who we'd like to see on the team? But my question is, where did this Justice Society come from? The future? Get parallel Earth? Sort of like in the comics? 
depending on what continuity you want to go with or present day. Since they can't use the term Justice League because of the Justice League movie, I'm hoping the Justice Society, because alluding to the next seasons of the Superman shows, going through with my idea, they had during our Supergirl reviews where I thought Maxwell Ward was going to finance his own team because superheroes. Or maybe it'll be something he sets up in conjunction with the DEO that Russian Manhunter is back in charge of it. So I think it's pretty obvious that I want to see all the superheroes on the shows we cover to be a part of that team. But if the society is from another Earth, I want it to feature the original Green Lantern, Gallant Scott, which is something I think they're experimenting based on that green entity we saw at the beginning of the Flash episode where Flash is fighting many humans. Sure, you caught that as well, Nico. Yep. And the real Jay Garrett, who I believe is going to be played by John Questley Shep as the Grandal Bell Mask, is Jay Garrick. Also, I kind of want them to throw in Stargirl. I know we said Cedar got Smallville, but I really like that character. Yeah, the relationship she has with Russian Manhunter. Also, Stargirl and Supergirl have a bit of a rivalry, which is kind of amusing. So it'd be interesting if they brought in maybe one of Melissa's former Glee co-stars to play Stargirl and then have that rivalry. That would kind of be fun or, you know, something like that. The other thing they could play with is bringing in Power Girl, which is the Earth 2 version of Supergirl. That'd be kind of fun to have. Maybe Melissa play both characters and maybe wear a wig to do Power Girl's shorter hair. That'd be kind of fun as well. And I wish also we could get to see Captain Marvel because magic has been introduced into this universe and may get to see Constantine. But I think he's supposed to get a film from DC. So I think that might not be possible. Plus there's some weird right things with Captain Marvel anyway. Or Shazam if you want to call him that. So Nico, what do you think the concept of the Justice Society means for the CW Superhero shows next season? Can they do something at the end of the Flash finale to merge the Supergirl universe with the other CW shows? So the origin of the Justice Society gives the story for the four-way crossover we're supposed to get in December? So Dan, the Justice Society of America was the precursor to the Justice League. So my guess is that the Justice Society of America is actually from the past, like 1940s past, where the new black female character is coming from that I mentioned last week in our discussion and two weeks ago in the DC headlines. So that makes sense that they might be headed back in time to ultimately defeat the Thanagarians in the future. If they initially went straight to the future to battle them and were unprepared, they would have been slaughtered as the guy who showed up from the Justice Society warned them that they would all die if they got on that ship. So rather they are going to go back in time rather than forward in time. Now as for the December 4-way crossover, I was thinking that we saw what we saw in Cisco's vibe, something about Earth 2 being swallowed up, and I'm wondering if it means almost an, an infinite crisis story arc where the Supergirl Earth and Earth 1 will merge and Supergirl will thus become part of the same world and same universe and more readily able to interact with the other team members and the other teams. But to survive that merger of the worlds, there is some massive cross-dimensional battle that ends up being the four-way crossover that deals with both dimensional travel, time travel, and potentially even space travel. That is about the only thing that makes sense to me with the information we have right now. But unfortunately, it more than likely won't be the Justice Society being a Justice League on the 4TV series. That, I just don't think, is the way it's going to go. Yeah, and I do the Justice Society quite a precursor, but I'm very hopeful about these universes merging, Can I want to see that team up. I think we all do. So I was kind of tweaking what I knew about the Justice Society to apply it to my ideas. And the way I think it could work is that the Justice Society that we first get introduced to is the 1940s version and then after this infinite crisis or whatever it gives them the idea to create that and they call themselves the Justice Society to the group that started it all and helped save them from the 1940s. So I think that would be a a way that your idea and my idea could all come together. That's that's a good point. That is a very, very good point. That's how they can all merge into each other. The other thing they could do, and again, I think there would be there would be no Jay Garrick on the Justice Society that if they went to the past. Yeah, more than likely, no. 
because I think they would screw up the flashes. Twilight and storyline with Zoom and everything. So I think that's a smart move. But I like that screw things up. Oh my god, I'd like to see Stargirl. Get her rivalry with Supergirl. I think that would be some fun things for Melissa to play with. Sure. Got her show. God, the other thought process is with this merging of worlds, get the comic books. Sometimes that brings characters who are dead back to life. So I wonder if that's how they're going to bring Cold back. Yeah, and if I was a really hopeful person, I would think that maybe that's how Laurel came back. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. But I don't think that's I don't think that's in the cards. No, I don't think no. Cold, cold, yes. Laurel, probably not. No, cold, yes. Because if it's happening in December, because you said he wasn't supposed to come back to January, right? From with Miller. Uh, that I I I don't remember what it was exactly. I don't think there was a a time frame on him coming back. Yeah. Well, let's say if he did get back to January, which is when we think Legends is going to start up again, that would fit perfectly. Yeah. If if Legends kind of had its crossover event with every uh, with the other shows in the yeah. fall and then started up in the spring with the uh, events of whatever happened in that starting up the next season. Yeah, I think that would be good. Guess it again. I want to see Marcia Man interfere with these characters. I think that would be so much fun. Yep. And also, I'm going to say this right now. Tyler as uh, Alex deserves to fight on this team as well. So I hope they bring her in to fight with them. In the crossover? Yes. Okay, yeah, I don't want her to leave Superman. No, 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 no. Yeah. She's in the crossover. Okay, I yeah. just think she deserves that right to be a part of that. Yeah, I, I think she's she's definitely part of the Supergirl team and a very active part. I think she's probably the second or third most important aspect of the team. So, you know, it's it's right up there with her and Martian Manhunter being, you know, back up to Kara, so... Kind of the $9 million question is, are we going to see Superman? Yeah, I just don't know. I, I mean, I would think that that would be a big crossover thing if they brought in Superman. Especially if it's Tom Welling. That would be huge for the CW. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see where things go. Also, I threw around theory that maybe we may see Superboy because of the Cadmus stuff going right. on on Supergirl. Good. If that's possible, then we could see Superboy Prime. Because that could bring out your evidence crisis. Yep. But I have another thought about that. I think they may go on a wild school because what they're going to do for a crisis. If they do what? Because that leads to my last question. What's next for Legends on its own? Clearly, with the decision to get rid of the Hawks, they realized the show had some serious problems, which means it needs to be greatly rebooted. So, what would the story focus on next? Because a lot of people, including Mark, want to see Constantine. So, does that mean we could get gay magic threats? Since I think the Thangarian invasion is off the table. Or could they go with something that encompasses all four CW superheroes? Shows, like the anti monitor, who I believe might be responsible for their destruction of Earth 2. Cisco saw his vision, got the end of this week's flash. So, what do you think, Nico? What's going on next year? Because the Thangarians off the table because the Hawks are gone. No, I think that there's still a potential invasion, and that could be what ends up causing the merger of the worlds that leads to Supergirl and her world combining with Earth 1. But as for what that means for the Legends team, I think they'll, if that's the way they're going to go, I think they're going to spend most of their season preparing for that battle, fighting and tracking the effects of precursors sent ahead of the invasion to prevent the Thanagarians from gaining a foothold on Earth before the invasion or something like that, and will spend much of their time in the past, starting in the 40s, to meet or create the Justice Society of America. Gain those two new members that we were talking about in our discussion last week and in the news item a couple weeks ago. I think that's all a possibility. The Anti-Monitor is a really cool idea as well, and could explain Cisco's vision, but I was thinking it could that that vision could also be the merger of Earth 2 and the Ascension destruction of Earth 2 or Supergirl's Earth as it merges with Earth 1, and that's why it looked like it was destroying Earth 2. Really, it, 
either of those things could be a really cool story. I think the Anti-Monitor makes a little bit more sense if, if DC's Legends doesn't come back till January, then it'll be after the crossover, and that means that my idea of the Thanagarians being the cause of the merger or the cause of the massive crossover wouldn't make as much sense. So, I I, I don't know. I, I think we could see either of those stories going forward. We could see a combination of the two. We could see the merger and then the invasion. I, I just don't know. The, the Anti-Monitor, just something interesting to think about, because he is a Green Lantern villain, because it seems like they're trying to experiment because if they could pull off Green Lantern. Plus, there's only all those Easter eggs to him, because well, throughout the show. Right, and and part of that might just be Berlanti's love of the character. Right. And part of it might be him trying to get a Green Lantern show. Yes. <laughs> I just don't know. If they got a Green Lantern show, I think that would come out after Arrow is done if Arrow ends next season. Okay. If they, if they went there. But again, they could set up Green Lantern this season, if that's the thought process. I don't know. It, it's very interesting. It could go anywhere. But again, I'm going to come back to the show, because I'm just anxious to see how they're going to fix it. But at the same time, I'm very scared. With Dorian saying the word Thanagarians, that because they didn't get back, kind of wave rider that's going to open the door for Kendra to come back. Yeah, I, I just don't know. I don't think that's a good idea. Like, I would be I would be fine if they had like a reoccurring role where they show up to help fight and stuff, but I don't think they should be series regulars. Yeah, definitely not. Good to see it kill the show this year. Yep. If you're not going to, if you can't do Cockerel right, then don't give us Hawkgirl. That's my point. But again, maybe we get a new Hawkgirl because of Thanagarians. Right, right. They might go with the other Hawkgirl. Which would be awesome, but we'll see. So anyhow, I think we're going to wrap up this episode. Again, that's the end of DC Legends for this year, but we'll be back reviewing that next year, along with Supergirl. So Nico, why don't you go over the finales we still have to cover for next week's episode? Yeah, on next week's episode, DC Nation returns with the season finales of Gotham, Flash, and Arrow, so make sure to join us next week for the DC Nation season finale, but for now we're going to roll our pre-recorded closing. Get out of Across the Airways podcast network website acrosstheairways.com Again, that's acrosstheairways.com You can check out all of our podcast shows available as their own individual programs get the iTunes store, get Google Play store Guys, for the podcast shows, cut our network We have the DC Nation podcast located at dcnation.acrosstheairways.com Again, that's dcnation.acrosstheairways.com which reviews popular DC Comics related TV shows movies. There's also the Marvelverse podcast located at marvelversepodcast.acrosstheirways.com Again, that's marvelversepodcast.acrosstheirways.com which reviews Marvel comics related TV shows and movies. And we also have Thronescast, our podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheirways.com Again, that's thronescast.acrosstheirways.com In addition to these programs, you can listen to the original Across the Airways podcast, which is accessible at AcrossTheAirwaves.com, which reviews TV shows not related to superheroes, core Game of Thrones, like The Walking Dead, Doctor Who, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, and more, including sitcoms such as The Big Bang Theory and The Muppets. Also, you can listen to Across the Airwaves, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, the Game of Thrones podcast, and the Marvelverse podcast, and the Mixed Radio Station, coded by Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the Podcast Box app. And if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our apps from the Amazon Marketplace. Get the Windows Marketplace as a regular Windows or Windows Phone app. Because for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback, got the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience, or just want to say, do you like what we're doing? Email us at acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, got across their waves. There's no thought in there, it's just across their waves. Join our circle, got Google Plus, or leave us a voicemail by calling 773 809 3363. 
Looking at it, 773-809-336. Call us with sending us an email. Please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Give the subject line. Give you our sending us listener feedback you want us to read. Call the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies and television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Con, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. All right, so once again, for other fabulous podcast hosts, Vicky Amy, Wu Kim, Joshua Mercury, James Huffle, Steve Nostro, and Michael G. A. Petty, who could possibly be joining us next week. I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Resnick. Get into our next episode. We'll cut you out of the airways. Good. We're going to take you out with the closing music to the original Flash TV series. Good tribute to Henry. See you guys. Now return to our regularly scheduled program.